Welcome to each of you who have come to this hour of worship. Glad to have you here, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad to have you here and invite you to come back and worship with us again on many numerous future occasions. I'm always glad to have folks visiting from far off and nearby, visiting families this time of year. Kind of offsets our families that are away today as well. So anyway, glad that you're here. Several announcements to bring to your attention. Um, the preschool children's Sunday school classes are in need of teachers starting in January. If you can volunteer, please talk with Katie Jeter to help us with this very important ministry. Uh, in the back as you leave today are envelopes for 2011. We still find that there are some folks who did not receive or have not received a pledge card for 2011, and we've got those in the back as well. I want to invite you, if you've not done so, to uh, set yourself a goal, a giving goal for next year. I find that I do better making a pledge and holding myself to that uh, is something that helps me fulfill my good intentions. So uh, if you're like me, perhaps that's an, an approach that you can take to uh, pledging. And those cards are back there for you along with the envelopes for next year. Today at 4 o'clock, the choir and handbell groups will assemble for a Christmas gathering in our social hall, a way of fellowshipping now that the hard work will be over by then. The, uh, <clears throat> the choir has uh, given us their performance and the handbell folks will be finishing up today, so we do invite those members to uh, be present for the drop-in today. Jack Four's sister passed away during the week, as did Sylvia Pitts's mother, Ms. Bishop. Uh, please remember these folks in your prayers as they adjust uh, to these loss, losses in their lives at a time of year when um, it just doesn't seem like we should be losing people. You know, this is a time of joy, and yet so very often uh, sadness comes our way. So let us remember these folks. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, yet and buried. Third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the spirit and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We light this candle as a symbol of the Prince of Peace. May the visitation of your Holy Spirit, O God, make us ready for the coming of Jesus, our hope and joy. O come, O come, Emmanuel. This time I'd like to invite the children to make their way out the outer uh, aisles and come forward to join me for a few moments of sharing. 
I'll move my big feet so somebody else can sit now. There was a very famous newsman who used to tell this story every year. Um, he would talk about, um, uh, his name was Paul Harvey, by the way. Um, he used to tell this story to explain what was special about Christmas and what God did for us on Christmas. He would tell about a farmer. Now, my uncle was a farmer, and I used to love to go out to his farm where he had pigs and chickens and cows uh, running all over the place. Uh, and in the wintertime, sometimes those chickens would stay in their coop and the cows would go into the barn and, and try to stay warm in the cold, cold winter. There was a man who was a farmer who couldn't quite understand what Christmas was all about and why it was necessary for God to come to earth in Jesus to live among us. His wife decided to go on to church that night and left him at home by himself to think. It was a cold winter night and it began snowing and the wind was blowing and the snow just was like a blizzard. And he looked out there and there was a group of birds huddled together about to freeze and die. And so he thought, well, I'll open the doors to my barn and they can fly into my barn and be safe until this snow stops. And so he opened the barn doors and cut a light on in there, but the birds wouldn't fly in. They didn't understand what the man wanted them to do. And so he started running toward them and jumping around like a crazy person. And, and uh, birds didn't know what to do about that either. They just flew up into the trees and then they'd come back down to another place and, and, and try to keep warm. He tried three or four things. Call to them. Here, birdies. Didn't work. He finally said, you know, if I could become a little bird for just a minute, I could fly over to them and I could say, this way, boys and girls, Follow me to a place where we can stay warm. If I could just become a bird. And the minute he said that to himself, he ran to his car and he went to the church and he joined his wife at church because it suddenly made sense to him that God had done for us what he wanted to do for those little birds. That we were hurting and scared and lost without knowing that God cared for us. And God must have thought, if I can become like them for just a few minutes and be a person, if I can be a baby, then a little child, and then a grown-up, maybe I can help some of them find the way, not into a barn, but into my father's house where they can live with me forever and ever. And so that's what Jesus did. He came to this earth to, to, uh, so that we would understand that God loves us and wants to take us to be with him always and to be with us here and now always. Okay, um, let's have a prayer together and then I'll let you go back to your seats. If you want to, you can pray with me. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to earth to show us your love. 
and to take us to safety. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Old Testament lesson is Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject wrong and to choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is the Canticle of Mary on page 199 in your hymnal. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share God's word together respons responsively. <clears throat> My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord From this day all generations shall call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is the name of the Lord, whose mercy is on those who fear God, from generation to generation. The arm of the Lord is strong and has scattered the proud in their conceit. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. God has come to the aid of Israel, the chosen servant, remembering the promise of mercy, the promise made to our
Our epistle reading is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from the faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here ends the lesson.
as we spend some time in prayer in a moment, I invite you to remember, especially some folks who've been in hospitals in recent days. Woody Melton is now back at the cottages, uh, rehabbing from a heart attack. Uh, Kim Doby had a stroke and is at Roger Peace rehabbing from that. So we invite your prayers for these folks as well as the others listed there in uh, various places, home, some of them, some of them in, in uh, nursing centers uh, who need your care and prayers during these days. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, how quickly the time flies and we find ourselves here now at the fourth Sunday of Advent, just a week away from the day that we observe the birth of Jesus. We are grateful for this time of year to turn our attentions away from lesser things so that we might focus our attention upon your love for us your love being so deep that you gave of yourself to us in Jesus Christ. Indeed, Lord, you gave the first Christmas present that was ever given. And we are thankful and recognizing that gift to us. We look at Jesus and we learn so much about your heart, Heavenly Father. We learn about mercy and we learn about second, third, and fourth chances and a forgiveness that has no end, that is 70 times 7 or infinite in length. We look at Jesus and see that you are for us and not against us, and that wherever Jesus went in life, he went to battle for human beings healing them of their various afflictions, forgiving them of their sins, reconciling people to one another. We are thankful for the powerful witness of Jesus to our world, of what your heart is like and what you long to see on this planet, that we might all follow in Jesus' footsteps and take care of those who are sick and hungry and lonely and grieving and that we might offer your love and reconciliation to those who have sinned. How thankful we are for the glimpse at your heart, Lord. And how amazing is your power that you would come into this world in the fashion that you did, in very fragile human baby form, we're thankful for the power that is displayed in that show of weakness. For your apparent weakness is greater than all the strength of all the armies that have ever marched. And then, Lord, we have to remember that Jesus came into the world to reconcile us sinners to God and to do that, he was willing to embrace death upon a cross. And so as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we acknowledge with thanksgiving that he gave himself for us every day of his life and ultimately on the cross of Golgotha 
and we are grateful for this. We're thankful, Lord, for your choice of Mary and Joseph to raise that special child. And we pray that we might learn something from them as we grow in our own faith. These are our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Here ends the lesson. So it came to pass that Joseph was the noblest of men with a woman on a donkey on the way to Bethlehem. And I wonder whether either was aware enough that day to know the child would bring a kingdom and the old would come to pass away. So wrote Andrew Peterson and so sang the memorial praise band in concert last night. Christmas, of course, is all about Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. So it may seem a little odd to you, really, that we have spent a good part of the Advent season talking about lesser lights, like John the baptizer, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and today, Joseph. But the Bible is full of stories about human beings like you and me, who somehow, in spite of their humanity, turned out to be heroes. And we can find inspiration for our own lives from these human beings who gave all that they had in response to God's love for them. We don't know a great deal about Joseph, but we can see indeed that he was the noblest of humans, and we certainly can find some inspiration in his life. What we do know about him is a little about his pedigree. He was a descendant of King David. Matthew believed that there, was, there were 28 generations between David and uh, Jesus. And we do know that it was roughly a thousand years that uh, were between the two. From what little I learned last year in a study of, of my own family history, I can imagine that lots of people of Jesus' day could claim heritage over a thousand years. They could trace some descendant back to David, and so lots of folks probably were also in the kingly line. It's amazing what you can find when you go back and look for things. For instance, I found out that through your former pastor and my great-grandfather, Alston Earl, 
that I had three ancestors on the Mayflower. And that would explain why I have, I'm so serious all the time. I'm a Puritan at heart. That's why I'm serious. I'm glad y'all laughed. They died laughing at the first service at the thought of me being serious for a moment. But uh, it is interesting what you can find out. And Jesus and lots of folks probably were descendants of David. Um, there is a general agreement among biblical scholars that Joseph died before Jesus grew up. Although this is based largely on circumstantial evidence, Joseph, you see, is never mentioned in the Gospels during Jesus' earthly ministry, while Mary is mentioned very often by herself, along with Jesus' brothers and sisters who were also mentioned several times. This could explain, if Joseph had died, why Jesus was 30 years of age before he began his public ministry. Perhaps he had to stay home and run the family business as a carpenter while Mary tended to the younger children. Perhaps Jesus learned patience from this experience of Joseph's early death, learning that he needed to wait upon God's timing to begin his public ministry. But there were some truly important things about Joseph's character traits, traits that were godlike, and therefore they became a part of Jesus' nature as well. For one thing, Joseph was open-minded, open to new ideas, and that really is a wonderful trait. What the angel said to Joseph about Mary's baby went against what Joseph had learned in the synagogue about the customs and the traditions of the Hebrews, not to mention that it went against human reasoning about what he understood about human biology. Who ever heard of a virgin birth? The next time you hear someone say that they have trouble believing in the virgin birth, tell them so did Joseph, so did Mary. They both found it very difficult to accept and believe. But what the angel told Joseph rang true in his heart. He knew Mary and he knew God. And so Joseph was open to the possibility that this new revelation was true. Jesus took up that trait of open-mindedness. He didn't assume that just because a person had, mistake, had made mistakes in the past that he or she would continue on making mistakes for the rest of their lives. Jesus believed people could change. And perhaps that is why Jesus could see things in people, opportunities and possibilities that no one else had been able to see. And somehow he was gifted to be able to bring those possibilities to the surface and people became what Jesus said they could be. Maybe that's why his ministry was world-changing. He saw possibilities. He had an open mind. We're also told that Joseph was a righteous man. That means, for one thing, he was in right standing in his relationship with God. But it also means he tried diligently to always do the right thing. And for Joseph, doing right never meant doing someone else wrong. Never making himself look good by making someone else look bad in comparison. 
We live in a time when world leaders as well as our national politicians seem to believe that it's their job to prove themselves right by proving how wrong everybody else is. Don't you get tired of that sometimes? Joseph and Mary had celebrated a rather public engagement. It was customary for the breaking of such a betrothal, which resembled more of a divorce in that day, would also be a very public event. Everybody was supposed to know that something had caused this engagement to be broken. Whose fault was it? Everybody would want to know. It was ev the question everyone would be asking. For his future, it would be very beneficial to Joseph to be able to show that it wasn't his fault, that it was Mary's. His right standing in the community depended upon this, but not his right standing with God. Joseph was not one who was wanting to save his own reputation at the expense of someone else. And so he was determined to be very private as he dealt with lawyers and priests to find a private way to do what had to be done. It would be good for us to discover Joseph's kind of righteousness, wouldn't it? A righteousness that tries to protect others, even those that were apparently unrighteous. It would be good for us to learn how to seek merciful justice. This trait of Joseph found its way into the life of Jesus because it was also like the heart of the Heavenly Father. Joseph was also an obedient man. He obeyed God without question because he knew that God wouldn't have asked him in the first place if it wasn't the right thing to do and if he didn't need him. Wise children eventually learn that it is best for them to trust and obey their parents. And Joseph was a wise child of God. He knew that only fools would dare to disobey Almighty God, but that his obedience would be met with many blessings. He obeyed and was blessed with a wonderful wife. In time, their home was blessed not only with one son, but also with other sons named James and Joseph and Simon and Jude and unnamed uh, daughters as well. Why did Joseph obey God? Because God had asked him. Because God needed him. Because Mary needed him. And because Jesus needed him. One of Jesus' traits was also obedience. Jesus was obedient even unto death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and people asked why, God answered from heaven, unspokenly but loudly, because you needed him to die for you. Joseph was also a courageous man. He accepted God's challenge even though he knew that it wouldn't be easy. Joseph stood by Mary even when it meant running into hiding down in Egypt, away from King Herod. He was willing to take upon himself Mary's apparent shame that she was an unwed mother. Now, whenever the gossips talked about Mary, Joseph would be willing to share the blame. He bore her apparent sin, 
in the same way that Jesus bore our true sins. Jesus was also a man of courage, of great courage. He went down to the Jordan River and identified himself with sinners who had come to be baptized by John. He risked his reputation right then. From the very start of his ministry, he let it be known that he would be wherever there were sinners in search of salvation. Wherever there were sick in need of the great physician, he was willing to take upon himself our shame, our stigmas. Whenever the gossips talked about that group of sinners over there, Jesus was among them, eating and teaching. He shared their blame and their shame. He stood by us when it meant not fleeing in the face of a frightening cross, when it meant dying and descending to the depths of hell for us. Jesus learned to be a man of courage because he'd seen that trait lived out in Joseph and he knew it was one of God's traits also. So it came to pass that Joseph was the noblest of men with a woman on a donkey on the way to Bethlehem. He influenced Jesus with his traits of honor, love, mercy, courage, open-mindedness, and obedience. Because of Joseph, Jesus learned what he must do for us in order to save us. God's only begotten son was like his heavenly father, his earthly mother, his earthly father, the noble Joseph. Amen.